0: Love Talk Radio. everyone, welcome to Dialogue Between the Lines, where each week we chat live with authors and other pu- publishing industry professionals. But before we get going on today's show, we'd like to take a moment to invite you to connect with us on our website, which is www.dialoguebtl, which stands for Between the Lines, dialoguebtl.com. And for those of you in our chat room listening today, don't forget to ask questions. You can find entry to the chat room by heading over to the blogtalkradio.com/dialog and clicking on today's show. As soon as the show begins, the chat room will appear if you scroll down the page just a little. Remember, each week we try to offer up a few choice uh chat room questions and um and uh you know, ask to to pose to our guests. So, um please, you know, ask and remember Stay tuned because in just a few short minutes we'll have New York Times best-selling author um, Michael Henson. So, but without um, we and he's got his. I'm so sorry. I'm just stammering today. I think it's this head cold. I'm sure that's what it is. Um, but we have uh, Joshua Graham on the phone as well on the on the show as well. So Joshua, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Susan, and it's great to be with you to hear again um Michael Hinkson I- I'm really excited about having him as our guest today. He stepped in at the last minute uh because our previous guest Chip McGregor had something come up so he wasn't a- available. But um but Michael kindly and graciously offered to stand in for him. But Michael's got this incredible story of uh, uh, of surviving the 9/11 attacks and um and we will be talking with him soon. But I had a I- I've been having a really uh interesting time uh with uh well, I guess, uh, the, all the publicity and, and things that I've been having, having to do. The last thing I did was um, to go to the Crystal Cathedral, which was in Orange Grove, California. And it's a really, really large church and a beautiful building. And um, I was able to do an interview there, talk a little bit about writing, about my story, about becoming an author. And after that, I, I got to play the cello for their congregation, which was really... Wow. because. Um, but I have to tell you, I've never been to... A church service like that before Uh, they they had a huge choir. uh, I think the sixth largest pipe organ in the world there, and and a brass quartet there. And as and and, you know, when I go to church, I usually sing kind of contemporary songs and things like that. But they sang the old traditional hymns with the full choir, things that I grew up with, but haven't sung maybe for like twenty years or so. And it was great because the, the words were still there in my heart. I could still sing it from memory, but to sing it with the organ and the choir and the and the trumpets and trombones, it was amazing. I um, I had a great experience, and the people there were just so kind and, and encouraging. Um, you know, it was my first time appearing on on television that's going to be broadcast worldwide. But I didn't feel nervous at all because the people who interviewed me, um, um, Robert Shull, uh, I mean Bobby Schuller. Um, and another person by the name of Bill, uh, they were just so congenial and made me feel like I was just speaking with a, a friend. As we sort of like we do here, our dialogue—it's it, just right. like speaking with a friend. So there was, I, I absolutely experienced no nerves at all. Maybe a little well, bit for that's... playing the cello because I haven't played the cello in front of a large audience for a long time. But even that was went um, fairly well, I thought.
0: Well, that must have been remarkable. I thought it was an, a, a very um, interesting and learning experience.
1: It was. It was very positive, but now you've got stuff going on too. You've got um, a, a, a tour that you're about to do. Can you tell us a little bit about your your new book? That's. I mean. Yes,
0: I have. Well, Spider Brains is coming out in paperback. It's available in ebook. Of course, it's been available in ebook since March, and um, but now the paperback is being released. And I just spoke with a voice artist who will be doing the audio book, and that will probably be out. Um, i i doubt if it will be out before christmas but it will be out um next year sometime in 2013 but um yeah the book tour is um going to going to be two months long and uh i'm featured on several blog spots and also um just you know uh, uh radio shows and um just you know it's a blog tour so i'm i'm really excited and looking forward to it and dorothy thompson who you know is from pumpupyourbook.com she's handling the publicity and she's just amazing i just love working with her she's such a professional so i'm i'm really looking forward to this she's made everything so easy um everything is done for the first month already and um now we're just looking at the at month number 2 where i'll be doing guest posts and interviews and that sort of thing so really looking forward to it but um but i you know we we should get on with our show because we've got an incredible guest and um uh, with a remarkable story he's uh, quite an inspiration to many people for a, a number of different reasons we're we're um of course having michael Hingson on who um, when the World Trade Center was attacked on 9-11, it was as though the world stood still, as everybody remembers. It was a day that captured our full attention, and Michael Hinkson and his guide dog, Roselle, were on the 78th floor of Tower One, if you can imagine that, that day they were there, and were able to make their way to safety and survive the attack. The duo was then immediately thrust into international spotlight, becoming well-known, uh, representatives of the strength of the human-animal bond and a living example of the powerful partnership that exists between a blind person and their guide dog. So without further delay, we'd like to welcome you, Michael. Good morning. Michael, you are on the air. Good morning. It's so How good to you? have you. Oh, we're great. And Josh was on the line as well. Great to have you and, with
1: us, Mike. Thanks for thank joining Thank you. Us. Good to be here.
0: Oh, we're so happy that you could join us. It was and thank you for filling in. Um it was quite a, a last minute thing, so we really appreciate you filling in for us. Thank you so much. Um so you and I I, I was looking at your blog, um your website this morning and since then, in fact, almost a year ago today, or a year ago, um Roselle passed away. Uh your guide dog right. that she- saved your life.
2: She passed away on june twenty sixth so yeah. that is that is coming up yeah well can and you tell um us you know she she lived and had a good life, she lived until a little over thirteen years of age wow. um and uh and is now in a better place,
0: yes, absolutely, so will you please tell us a little bit about <clears throat> Your, what happened that day? I mean, we have a little, we have an idea of what happened, but really, can you tell us what you went through?
2: Sure. Let me let me kind of set the stage a little bit, if I might. Yes. As you said, I'm blind, and I and I use a guide dog. I used Brazil for uh, for several years. We were we were teammates, but I grew up in a in a family, and we talk about this in my book, Thunderdog. Um, which is, is kind of the connection of all of this, because I know your guest this morning was to be Chip McGregor, and uh, and Chip was unable to to do it and called last night and asked if I'd be able to to fill in. He was our agent and uh, is is a great guy and a, and a wonderful soul to um, to have been involved with with us, and uh, and just in general I know he's well respected, so I really appreciate the opportunity to to come on and talk about him. And there's nothing he can say that will help right now because he's not even here. but but um i've been blind all my life and i grew up in a home that um that basically was one of my parents said you're going to be like any other kid just like you should be and you're going to grow up and have responsibilities you're going to grow up and go to school and the fact is that you may have to do things in a different way but you can still do them and so For them, equality was not that you've got to do it in the same way, but that you have the same responsibilities and we have to come up with the techniques to allow you to do that. As I grew up and went out into the, the world and became an adult, I learned that that was a philosophy that a number of other blind people had. Uh, and actually became very involved in the largest consumer organization of blind people, the National Federation of the Blind, which is an organization that was founded by several people who said, blindness isn't the handicap, it's our attitudes that are the true handicap that blind people typically face. Because with proper training, blind people can do what sighted people can do, it's just that we're going to do it in a different way. So in my life, in working in the computer industry, working for a variety of Fortune 500 companies and other companies, and owning my own company, Along the way, back in the mid 1980s, I did what what anyone would do who was in as I was in sales. Um, I ended up being in computer sales for a variety of, of reasons. You know, jobs and, and plans take turns in our lives, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that's what uh, what God brings, and and it's up to us to to make use of the tools that we're given. So for me, it ended up having me go into high-tech sales, which which I've done for most of my adult career. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm still selling. I'm selling philosophy and, and, and attitude and, and concepts much more than selling hard technical products. But I um, have been in sales and, and interacting with people my whole adult life and learning that the handicap really is the attitudes that people put on us not just for blind people but in most everything that we do. So anyway, the the ultimate thing that happened to me is that I was in New York. Uh, a company moved me to New York in 1996 and we were there for several years. I was recruited away to work for another company and then a third company and ended up at Quantum Corporation which was the organization that asked me to open up an office and we did on the 78th floor of Tower 1 of the World Trade Center and what you were asking about before there I was on September 11th 2001 when our building and the World Trade Center and and the United States was deliberately and very maliciously attacked so I was on the 78th floor in my office none of my uh, employees were there, uh, one colleague from our corporate office, David Frank, was there, and uh, some other people who were the first arrivals for a seminar or series of seminars that we were going to be conducting that day. So as soon as the, the plane hit and um, the initial, uh, I think, shock, if you will, or series of events ended, namely the building swing and so on, we discovered that there was fire above us, and clearly we had to evacuate. So I got my colleague, David, to focus and to get our guests to the stairs and start them down, and then he came back, we swept the offices, then we went to the stairs, and we started down. Um, I realized, having participated in the fire drills and evacuation procedures and other things that someone should do who's working in a a facility like that, I knew what to do if there were an emergency emergency. But I realized that we could try at least to evacuate in an orderly way, notwithstanding the fire above us and so on. We didn't feel any heat. It was 18 floors above us, so we weren't feeling any of the effects of it in early stages. But I realized that we could try to evacuate safely because my guide dog, Roselle, was not reacting in any way that indicated to me that she had any fear or concerns. And I'm sure you've read stories about people who, have been in buildings and or asleep, and their dogs got them up and got them out because they sensed something before the people did. Roselle Uh wasn't indicating any of that. And I should also explain what a guide dog is all about. A guide dog and a blind person work together to form a team. Each has a job to do. So it isn't like people say, oh, Roselle got you out. Well, yes and no. Um, Roselle follows commands from me so it's up to me to tell her where to go when to go and what i want her to do it is her job to interpret that so if for example it's not safe to go when we're crossing a street for example if a car is coming across in front of us especially if it's a quiet car or a hybrid car today where you can't hear it um, she'll stop and she won't go even though i gave her a command to go forward that's a that's a concept called intelligent disobedience which is a very significant part of what a guide dog does but the bottom line is it's not the dog's job to know where to go if i trained roselle to go to a, set a, a stairwell to get out of tower one where we were what if that stairwell had been on fire you know she wouldn't know what to do it is not the dog's job to know that it's her job to follow commands and keep us safe and keep us walking in a straight line till it's necessary to turn. So it is, in every sense of the word, a team effort. She's the pilot, I'm the navigator. And we work together to do what your eyes and your brain do. It's just that they're both attached to the same body. In, in our case, we're attached by a harness. But it's still the same concept that we work together to get out and to do whatever it is that we have to do. So that was why I say... Roselle wasn't reacting, so I knew it was possible to get out in an orderly way, at least at that point in time, and and it turned out all the way down the stairs it was. So we got to the stairs after David came back, and we swept the offices, and then we started down, and we worked together to to get down and eventually get out of the building.
1: Wow. What a Amazing. story. Uh, you know, uh, thank you so much, Michael, for sharing with us also, you know, what it's like and, uh, and how that team effort is. I mean, it's something that we 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 who have no experience with this might be able to imagine, but to hear you say it so explicitly to us I think it really helps us to get a feel and understand for it. So I would imagine that your bond with Roselle, or with your whichever guide dog that you're working with, um, th- there's got to be a, a huge sense of trust, a mutual trust. Would you say that?
2: Sure. Absolutely. And in fact, that's what I do today, is to travel the world, uh, talking about teamwork and trust, um, moving from diversity to inclusion, because people talk a lot about diversity. But you know, when you talk about diverse groups, it's very interesting that disabilities generally tend not to be significantly included in that discussion. And so... I believe that diversity is the wrong term. It really ought to be inclusion. And if you're going to be inclusive, then you don't get to leave people out. Mm. Um, People with disabilities tend to get the short end of the stick. We're still not treated as first-class citizens. You know it is possible in this country under provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act, it is possible to pay a person and a company can apply for an exemption for doing this. It is possible to pay a person less than minimum wage. There are places in this country... um, that are paying in special workshops like a dollar twenty an hour or even less, and it's and it's just the way the world is, and so there needs to be a, a change so that persons with disabilities truly have the same rights that everyone else does, um, and it, and it's a big challenge. So I I do a lot of traveling to speak at corporations about teamwork and trust. Um, uh, Certainly we do a lot of speaking um, when when we can and invited to go to churches and other groups to talk about my faith because faith was a significant part of me getting out of the World Trade Center and just living my life. And so, um, you know, we, we talk about a variety of, of topics like that to try to inspire people and to help people recognize that we all can work together and we can all be a, a better society. Um, and it's exciting to be able to do that. So we, we're out there talking about trust all the time. Um, mm. You're absolutely right. It's a very significant bond. And, you know, pet owners can have that same bond. It doesn't just need to be a blind person with a guide dog or someone who's just using a dog every second of every day. Um, the fact of the matter is that all of us who have dogs or animals in our lives can form better bonds with them if if we choose to do that.
1: Oh, I I completely agree. And even as we speak right now, I've got my dog right here. He's just lying down, listening to me talk. I think he thinks I'm talking to him. The way cats think that way too. So he's actually enjoying this. Now, uh, Michael, I was actually just a couple of weeks ago back in New York because I grew up in New York, and I went back with my family. My children are now old enough uh, to to understand and appreciate the significance of what happened on September 11th at the World Trade Center, at the Twin Towers. Um, so we took them back to the memorial the the 911 uh, memorial and I have to tell you um being there just, even without you know seeing or or you know feeling the you know the the um letters and of the names of the people being memorialized just just knowing that I was right there where it was at ground zero uh it was a really emotional experience for for me um have you have you been back there have you had you know what the insight um Recovery. I mean, I know it's been, you know, over a decade now, but um, what's, what's it been like emotionally? I've been
2: back a, a number of times. I um, We moved out here because I was offered a position with the organization where Roselle was from, Guide Dogs for the Blind. I was asked to be their public spokesperson. That was in 2002, See, after 9-11, the media heard about our story. I was interviewed on Larry King Live, uh, the first of five interviews, and we, we got pretty visible. And people always said, well, how did you get out of the World Trade Center, or how, how could you do that? And, you know, that wasn't really what they were asking. They were asking, what's a blind person doing there in the first place? And and as I tell people, ThunderDog, my book, is all about not how I got out of the World Trade Center, but how I got there, and mm-hmm. and why I was there, and trying to get people to understand that there are usually several ways to solve a problem and to deal with a challenge. So um, I've been back a number of times. In fact, I felt it was important to go back <clears throat> pretty quickly. Um, I was well, We lived in New Jersey, and I was actually back in New York City in a fairly tall building a couple of days later, and certainly when I went to CNN to um, be interviewed by Larry King on Friday, the 14th of September, that was was kind of the first time back in a, in a good tall building um, and and sort of started doing that ever since um for me i guess the most emotional part of dealing with 911 and being at ground zero happened in may of 2002 we were back for Roselle to receive an award in new york um and uh, from the hearts corporation hearts mountain corporation and uh, i had the opportunity to go down into the pit that was the the, the base below what was the world trade center most of the debris had been cleared away so to go stand on what was the seventh sub level down <clears throat> and to just experience being there i think is was uh, is for me one of the, the memories i'll have the most in my life the other is walking down the stairs and passing the firefighters coming up and those people just bravely going up the stairs to do their job So. Um I was back the last time I was back in New York was i believe um in September of last year um so I'm looking forward to seeing the new structures when when they're built. We were back just before the memorial opened
1: um
2: and so so I got a chance to to just be across the street but actually have not been to see the memorial yet.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I uh I was back there in 2009 with my husband and um even for someone that had never been to New York before, always lived on the west coast or southwestern United States, um the moment of just standing there is quite touching and you both Bob and I um got emotional and um it was very touching so um I can imagine the emotions that stirred in you. Now, she must have been about um, two years old when this all happened, correct? She
2: was actually three and a half when uh, when 9-11 occurred. She was born in um, March of 1997.
0: Well, and, you know, I just think that this is such a great story. Um, I am a huge lover of animals, large and small. Um, We have 12 cats, two dogs, and 14 birds and so i understand that human animal bond it's very yeah. um, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to uh, actually
2: I was, wrong. Get. She was born in 1998 but yeah oh it is oh. it's it's important yeah. that we recognize that bond and we we really need to learn how much we could all benefit both sides can benefit by having a bond um, animals love got dogs love rules they love to know where their place is they love to know what is expected of them Um, and all they want to do is to give back it it is definitely a a creature of unconditional love
0: yeah they're wonderful now um, you do have uh, and I love your website it's just full of wonderful information one of the the, um, things that I'm looking at is your advocacy tab now you have um, a fundraising effort to focus on access to technology for blind Americans can you tell us a little bit about that
2: Sure, Roselle's Dream Foundation, which you can also uh, see by going to www.rosellesdream.org, R-O-S-E-L-L-E-S, dream.org. You know, the as, as I talked about doing things in different ways, the, the fact of the matter is that sometimes we use technology where you'll just use your eyes, um, and, and it, it levels the playing field. But some of that technology, and in fact a lot of it, costs a fair amount of money. Sometimes the agencies around the country, such as state agencies, can help pay for it. Sometimes schools will have it available for kids to use in school, but they can 't take it home and keep it when the school year is over. They have to give mm-hmm. it back. Um, some of that stuff costs a lot of money, I mean up to six and seven and eight thousand dollars. So one of the things that I wanted to do after um, the book was published. <clears throat> was to start this foundation. So in the book, Thunder Dog, we talk about it and introduce people to Roselle's dream, which is to make it possible for any blind person to have the technology that they need, especially for, for children and students. So we're, we've we started this foundation, um, and as we raise money, what we will do is we will help subsidize some of the costs of providing some of that technology. So it's in the uh, the, the formation. The foundation is is running um and so we're starting the process of raising funds so that we can give scholarships of funds to help in the purchase of technology so it's pretty exciting to be able to be involved in that and to really make that happen so we're we're really kind of blessed uh, and god is is providing for us to be able to you know to do more of that so that'll be part of our ongoing mission um, as well as just advocating in general. You know, there are, uh, there are issues that blind people face, uh, and, and not only blind people, but other persons with disabilities. I mentioned the minimum wage concept, and so there is a bill in Congress, H.R. 3086, um, to, to eliminate that minimum wage loophole. But blind people today face an unemployment rate among employable blind people of over 70%. That's seven zero, and it's not because blind people can't do the jobs. It's because we are not given the opportunity. Um, the presumption is you're blind, you can't function. I'm amazed at how many people who have eyesight think they're experts on blindness. You know, um, they're used to. Do- <laughs> things one way, and they don't recognize that there are lots of alternatives. We need to have more people watch Star Trek II, you know, where Captain Kirk said there's always another way, and he doesn't believe in the no-win scenario, and I don't either. I think there is always a way to, to win. It may or may not come in our lifeline, but it, lifetime, but it will come. So the fact is that um, I I am very much involved in advocating in, in various ways um, in helping to Bring about change to create more of that first class citizenship environment, and certainly with Roselle Stream Foundation, we can do it in a very substantive way with providing technology um, there 's a product called the KnfB Reader Mobile, which is a, is an app that runs on a particular cell phone, so it doesn 't run on most phones, but it runs on a particular cell phone. Um, and what it allows a person to do is to take a picture of a printed page and to literally read that page out loud. So I can take the digital camera on the phone, point it at a page, push a button, and it will then take the picture and read it. So I can take it into restaurants. I can take it wherever I need to go and and read whatever I need to read.
0: Oh, that's fabulous. But it's $1,800. Oh, my gosh. That's huge, isn't it?
2: Well, you know, uh, it is. In, in a couple of ways. It is if, you don't, if you've never really been involved with the, the print world and don't really know what's out there. And right. it is if you don't have the money to pay for it. So, yes, it's, sure. it's a challenge.
0: Well, I'm I'm on right now to Roselle's Dream Foundation and the website you can find it at Roselle's dot org or you can find it at Roselle Foundation which is R O S E L L E Foundation dot org it, it automatically transfers you over. Yeah. To
2: or you can just and, do Roselle'sDream.org Dream dot org as well.
0: Oh, she's a pretty girl, isn't she?
2: Uh, there's a very famous animal artist, Ron Burns, <coughs> yeah. who has has painted a number of, of animals, very vis- visible animals. Ron called us last year after he heard about Roselle's death um, and wanted to paint her. So we had a lot of pictures, um, and Ron did paint the the portrait of Roselle, and I think her picture is up there. The um, The portrait is available for sale from Ron Burns' studio. Forty percent of the proceeds go toward uh, funding Roselle's Dream Foundation. If anyone wants to get that picture of Roselle, you can go to www.ronburns.com r o n b u r n s dot com slash Roselle. I know you're nimbly typing away on the keyboard there.
0: I um, actually am.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you can go to ronburns.com dot com slash Roselle, and um, the, the portrait is available for sale from Ron. Uh, it's a it's a great picture. What he does is, is he says he starts with the eyes, and he really got Roselle's eyes, and everything comes from that.
0: Oh, this is beautiful! It's just beautiful. I love what he did with the. Now, I was expecting, I was expecting more real life. This is gorgeous. It's very, um, very impressionistic, and
1: uh, but the and eyes are surreal. Roselle.
0: Yeah, definitely the eyes are Roselle.
1: <laughs> There's just so, just so much beautiful. expression in her, in her. Eyes there that you know. Now, uh, Michael, you, you you touched upon something that I think really resonates with people of all circumstances, you know, for, and a wide spectrum of, of life circumstances, and that's um, never giving up. And you're saying that you know you don't believe in a no-win scenario, and you know, I, I've I've recently been in contact with a lot of different people talking about the issue of employment or unemployment, as it were, and you touched upon that tangentially as well. Um, there are a lot of people who, uh, even without any kind of physical challenges or disabilities, uh, find themselves in situations where they they really are don't realize that they have a choice, um, or they really think they don't have a choice, and they've they've decided to give what, up hope, um, thinking that there's just no way. And I've seen it; it's heartbreaking because it manifests itself in in many ways, like bitterness, or anger, cynicism, yeah. or just total defeat. And yet, can you speak to that issue of, of having hope when, when it seems most people think there is none?
2: You know, no matter what we do, no matter who we're involved with, and, and no matter who can pep us up in um, in our lives, the fact is, motivation ultimately has to come from within. Um, and and having a strong faith helps, and this is an important part of it. But we have to motivate ourselves. <clears throat> and I know it's a it's a real tough world out there. Uh, the economy isn't the greatest, although I think that we're we're seeing some progress. Um, we're seeing progress that we didn't see um, earlier in this millennia, in this century. But um, it still has to come from within to have the the courage, the conviction to to go out and work. And and there are a lot of ways that that events and circumstances try to beat us down, and ultimately we have to decide if we're going to, to stand up and deal with that. I, um, You know, my first job out of college was actually working with the inventor of the machine that I talked about, the KNFB Reader Mobile. It was the original version of that called a Kurzweil reading machine. Mm-hmm. I was actually hired by the National Federation of the Blind to do some testing and evaluations of that product, and then I eventually was offered a job by uh, Ray Kurzweil, the inventor of the machine, um, to come and work in the company and ended up because of circumstances after going there that I ended up going into sales, which is not something that I expected to do. And I worked there for six years. And then suddenly um, the company was purchased by Xerox, and all of us who were in sales for the company were asked to leave because they wanted to bring their own people in. Well, I didn't expect suddenly to have to go find a new job, and it was a big challenge, and in fact, I did not find a job. Um, I looked for six months, and, and it was getting very tight for us, so I worked, looked, looked and worked for six months to try to find a job back at the end of 1984. We didn't have even the rules that we do today about discrimination and the Americans with Disabilities Act and so on. Eventually the opportunity came for me to work with some people and start my own company to sell computer-aided design systems to architects. So figure that a blind guy selling CAD systems. Well, Mm -hmm. the reality is I didn't have to work the system to know how to – to sell it. What I had to do was to know how to work the system and then I could go off and sell it. Because I could sit an architect down in front of the machine and I could say, What do you want to do? Okay, here's how you do it. Um and and walk them through the process. But the reality it was another way of doing what needed to be done in a way that actually more people should use in sales. But the bottom line is that I had to go find a job by by starting my own company for a while. And then I eventually went back into Um, to sales working for someone else because I didn't want to continue to be a business owner at that time in my life. So we sold the company and and didn't make much of any money off of it, but I went back in working for other people. And that led eventually to being in New York in the World Trade Center. Well, in 2002, I was asked to, uh, to join Guide Dogs for the Blind, as I mentioned earlier, and I did as the National Public Affairs Director and did that for six and a half years. But then, in the middle of 2008, the um, a, a new CEO was hired, and they said, "Well, we don't need a public spokesperson, so you know, we don't think that uh, we're going to keep your job, uh, and we're going to phase that out." So again, I was confronted with a situation, and um, and basically. What I did, because I had been traveling the world for guide dogs, speaking literally all over the world, speaking about teamwork and trust and guide dogs for the blind, I just started my own company to do that and along the way also got the opportunity to sell the KNFB Reader. You don't know where jobs are going to come from. You don't know what doors are going to open. It may not be what you want, but we're not always in charge. Um, and, And the question is, are we open to opportunities? Are we open to doing something even if it might not be what we expected to do. Certainly a, a, whatever it is has to be a good thing. But I think that so many of us, oh, we're trained to do one thing and that's all we can do. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is we may have to do work that we didn't expect to do for a while, but it's work and it brings money in. Um, and we, we, we ought to be open to more opportunities as they come up and, and not lock ourselves into just one mode of thinking. Flexibility is a good thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Wow, that is um, really resonant because, you know, what you've described to uh, us here is um, the, the at the core of it is a determination. I mean, you used the word motivation, which is aptly put, but um, there's, there's a, a flavor of this motivation which I, I link more towards determination, and you were determined not to just... F- Sit around and feel like a victim, and you know it's very easy to feel that way when life circumstances they can seem unfair or uh, uncaring, unfeeling. But rather than feeling and acting or thinking like a victim, you decided to go and either find other opportunities, and if you couldn't find them, you created opportunities. And I think it's such an inspiration to all people because you know we we always have a choice, and I think you've exemplified with your life that you realize there's always a choice, and you, you've made choices. Some of them are tough choices. Some of them are choices that you don't prefer, but you know you, you must. But you you also made the choice not to feel sorry for yourself and be a, a victim, and I, I find that really inspiring. Um, that's
2: the most important choice of all, of course, is is to decide to move forward. Um, and that's what ThunderDog is all about. Um, and, and as I said, the story is really about how I got to the World Trade Center, um, not how I got there, or not not how I got out. Um, and people can buy the book on our website, and of course you can get it from Amazon.com or um, BarnesandNoble.com or or go to your local bookstore. We've had the blessing of being on the New York Times bestseller list a number of weeks. Thunderdog will be coming on paperback in in August, which we're excited about. Chip McGregor's done a good job, but um, we intended it to be a book to teach people that there are choices and that we can move on in life <clears throat> even after the most adverse situations hit us. Um, but it has to be our choice. Choosing not to do anything is is a choice. But mostly choosing to do something um, is is what really needs to happen. And you know what? It might not be the right choice. We may not get the right message. I didn't get, I think a message not to go into the World Trade Center on um, September 11th. Now, that morning there was a thunderstorm at 1230 at night, on 12 at uh, 1230 on, on 9-11. Roselle hates thunder and, and so was very afraid. We ended up spending about an hour and a half in my office down in our basement just to keep her away from the, the lightning lightning. Um, and, uh, and all the lights and so on, and some of the thunder, but the storm came right over our house. Now, without a message that I really shouldn't go into the World Trade Center, I mean, some people might say it is, I I certainly didn't interpret it that way at the time, but um, the bottom line is that, that I went um, and was presented with an opportunity to get out and now tell our whole story, um, and so that's what ThunderDog is is really about we called it thunder dog partly because roselle's afraid of thunder and of course all the thundering sounds of mm. of nine eleven. thomas nelson and all the folks uh, at thomas nelson published the book and did a did a great job with that so we're um we've been we've been blessed by getting to know a number of those people working through this whole book writing process and uh, even writing thunder dog it had a lot of false starts on it, and then in 2010, a woman named Susie Flory called me, wanting to interview me for a book she was writing. We ended up collaborating and writing the book, and so last year it was published. So we're really pretty excited. Now we're also working on a children's book, and um, we're gonna we're gonna do a, a second book on some of the subjects touched on in ThunderDog. So that's a little bit further down the line. But Jeanette Hanscom, um, actually a, a blind children's book writer in Reno and i are working on a children's book that will will be out later this year well, lots of stuff going on
0: Lots of stuff, and not only are you writing a lot and collaborating a lot, but you also have an extremely active um, appearance schedule. In June, you're you're going to be at the Delta Gamma National Convention in and the National Foundation for the Blind, and then in July, you're going to be in Japan, and then and you, then you're coming back, and you're going to be in Phoenix in July, my old stomping ground. I mean, you're just going, going, going. Um, and there's
2: some things yeah. that aren't on the calendar that I got to get up there because I come back from Phoenix and I'm in town a few days and then I go to West Virginia. Lots of stuff going on. So um, we're going to be in Japan for uh, for two weeks because Thunderdog has been published over there. So okay. we're going to go over and, and do that. And actually, next Thursday I fly to Indianapolis for the Delta Gamma convention. And I'm really looking forward to that. They've been a wonderful group to work with. They have they have fed me more information about what they're doing and and so on than uh, than then a body even has time to absorb, but we'll get it all done.
0: Well, and I love the topics that you're going to be talking about, trust and teamwork, um, and then you're going to be doing some signings, but then just doing your job, and then a new normal and a matter of attitude. These are some of the titles or uh, subject matter that you're going to be talking about in the next, well, I'd say seven months, seven, eight months you're going to be. Um, can you Can you give us an idea what what your, um, your a new normal
2: uh, topic is? I think is. we're still discovering a new normal, mm. you know, and I think that's, here's what, what prompted that topic. <clears throat> so many times after September 11th, I heard everybody from our politicians on down, and a lot of reporters said, well, we got to get back to normal. Well, certainly we don't need to get back to normal, because if we get back to the way normal was, we'll have another incident like we did on nine yeah. eleven. Um, Normal has changed, and I don't know that we necessarily yet know. In fact, I'm sure we don't know what our new normal is going to be, um, and it may be a changing target. Certainly, who would have thought we would have some of the things going on in our country that we do today? I've never seen such a fractured political system, um, and people who don't have any clue about what teamwork is about. I've been um, roaming the halls of of Capitol Hill for over 30 years, and I've never seen the, the divisiveness that I see today. And that scares me because those people, of all people, ought to be exemplifying what teamwork is about. There's no reason that diverging views or different views can't find ways to work together. But it seems like there's just this intense desire that, only my way is the right way, and and we can't work together. And that's just not the way it ought to be. So I think we're still struggling with what a new normal is all about. And I think those of us who are the electorate need to start standing up and saying, if you want to be elected, you're going to have to work with other people, and if you can't do that, then we're not going to elect you. And it doesn't matter who it is, but I think that those are the kinds of things that we we, we are Really struggling with as a country and figuring out where we're going to go and what we're going to do, and I, those are basic decisions that we're going to have to make. so I think normal is still is still something that we're we're moving toward, but certainly concerning those of us who happen to be blind or have other disabilities, our new normal, as far as we are concerned, has to be partly being included in society. You know, when I can go into a restaurant and get a a menu in Braille, or I can go into a restaurant where there isn't a Braille menu, and I can sit down and somebody comes and says, um, um, I will be glad to tell you what's on the menu, and not say, what do you want? Because if I knew what I wanted, I wouldn't need to read the menu, would I? Mm -hmm. Um, Or if I can go to a job and somebody will say, we recognize you may do it differently. We will work with you as long as you 're going to be a productive part of our company, and you make your commitments will live up to ours and and not just say, "Well, how can you possibly do this job because you can 't see um, yeah. when When those kinds of things happen, when my wife, who uses a wheelchair, can go get on an airplane and not come out the other side to find her wheelchair damaged um, because the airline didn't take care of it and didn't know what they were supposed to do even though they have training procedures, then we will have gotten closer to our new
1: normal. That's that's really important because, um, you know, what you've described also is is the the struggle that people who are in in a minority have to face and and the legitimate struggle that that, that they have to face. And. (coughs) You know, raising the awareness of it, I think, is is really important. But the other side of it is that we, as a society, um, must come out of ourselves and and be concerned for others, even if their views or their life or everything about them is different from ours. Um, and and you were mentioning like divisiveness in 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 our government, and you know, I think it's never been more true than what you're saying right now. And what what the concern is, I mean, there's the phrase that says a house divided cannot stand. You know, our our entire society uh, right now. I think I I don't try not to offer too much of my own opinion about things, but my observation of the rise of social media is that social media has been a double edged sword. It's been great yes. for proliferation of good messages and getting it out to in quickly to in constructive ways, but at the same time, I've also seen that. Um, you know, people's opinions, it's given a platform for people's opinions, which is good, but at the same time, uh, what it does to the individual is it kind of gives a lot of people uh, <clears throat> of entitlement, and so when you when they feel that they can now use opinion rather than fact or sensitivity to speak really harshly or blast or gather people to rally, rally them up, like, you know the, the people the villagers with pitchforks over something that's emotional and maybe not necessarily responsibly researched and founded then we we i, I actually feel that that well, while it may strengthen certain individuals with strong opinions and their constituents, it actually weakens our society as a whole so um
2: when we rely on opinion without Making sure that we understand the facts, then we are at a serious disadvantage. You know, um, I I really love what you're what you're saying, and I think that it is something that we we all need to work on. You know, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> somehow um, my Facebook account got hacked in some way, and a post <clears throat> that we had written about Thunderdog from last year got sent to all of my friends and to lots of other people. It was sent multiple times. We're not even sure where it came from. What was very interesting, however, were the reactions from people. Um, People who have been following me and monitoring me on Facebook for over a year who, who clearly should know, and I thought did know, what, what we were all about, suddenly those people started writing letters um, this is blatant advertising you shouldn't be doing this um, that's not what Facebook is all about, which in of itself isn't necessarily totally true, we're always advertising even when we go ask somebody to be our friend, isn't that kind of an advertisement? Of course. But but there's advertising all over the place and, and that gets to be paid, but the presumption that that's what I was doing rather than finding out what's going on Um, was just very very frustrating and so it, it was a couple of days before it was clear kind of what was happening and the letters of anger and um and and um accusations were were mounting finally i put out a I'll, I'll uh, post on Facebook and said, here's what we think is happening. We have complained to Facebook. We have not had anything to do with it. By the way, this is a post that was published last year. Uh, we wouldn't do that sort of thing to to any of you. And I'm amazed that you even thought about it. It's time for some self-examination. Why are we so quick to judge? Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that can happen. <clears throat> it may very well happen again. But I think that there's a lesson to be learned about really how we deal with people um, and how we've come so far that we are so pessimistic. And I think that gets back to your your whole opinion thing. We have been, as a society, burned too many times by people just pushing their opinion and and getting what they want only to find out that wasn't a good thing. Um, So now, and, and of course corporations have been betraying our trusts for a long time. We can use Enron and, um, and, and even the NCI WorldCom as a, as a couple of examples back in the early 2000s. But the fact is that, um, that we have become extremely pessimistic, and I think that is something that our society needs to, to deal with. There's no reason why we can't reintroduce the concept of optimism and the concept of hope, which comes from within again.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and, and you know, if, if there's anybody who can talk to us about hope, I, I would say definitely you and um, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today. We we really appreciate your story, but not just your your story and and, and um, the the background of your book, but just the life that you that you continue to live and, and how you go and um, encourage people for, to do uh, for teamwork and. Yeah, inclusivity. It's just a great work that you're doing, and it's really been an honor having you on our show.
2: Well, it's been my pleasure and would love to do it again. And, and let me just say in, in closing, we talked about Thunderdog, and if anyone goes to our website to buy it, again, which is michaelhingson.com, um, every book we sell on the website comes autographed and potographed with Roselle's paw print. We actually got her paw print totally serendipitously six days before she passed. So every book comes mm-hmm. with her photograph and, and we autograph it. So um, I hope people will come and, and buy the book and <clears throat> also uh, go visit Ron Burns' site and, and get their portrait. And um, and we're certainly, uh, we have a newsletter that comes out every so often. We've done one this year, so we don't inundate people with it. But if people want to sign up for newsletters, they can do it on the website. But I'd love to hear from people. We're on Facebook. Um, and uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, and hopefully we can do it some more.
1: Absolutely. We hope so, too. So, thank you again All for you got to do
2: is call and let me know. Okay, we
1: we'll will. Do that for sure.
2: We can do it from Japan.
0: Awesome. <laughs> we <laughs> would love that.
1: Okay, well, thank you, Mike. And we'll well, thank that. you, my pleasure. Thank be you fair. so much. Bye. Bye. What an inspiration. Oh my goodness! I, I, I mean, I'm I'm just so honored to have met him. And I would say that, you know, nothing happens by accident. And I'm I'm sure that you know, hearing Mike's story and in his life, you know, how how he maybe should have taken it as a sign when his dog was afraid to, you know, of the thunder the night before. Um, I, I don't think any of it was an accident. Uh, no. And so the fact that Chip McGregor couldn't make it, uh, which is you know, we'll reschedule. To have him, but I don't think that this was an accident either. To have come across such a wonderful, warm and inspiring person.
0: No, I couldn't agree more with you. nothing happens; um, it's not coincidence. I don't believe anything is an accident either. And and it's interesting that um, there was a sign, but it was not to not go. It was you know just a sign. And and um, and the fact that this was what struck me is that he he was. Uh, or she Roselle was cowering um and you know with the thunder but not when there was an explosion she was just strong and sure and just not a problem so um it's, it's another God's blessings that's for sure I'm just thrilled that we had Michael Hinkson on our show today Joshua and his website is com, and his um uh, Roselle's uh, Dream Foundation is Roselle, Roselle's Foundation dot org, Roselle's Dream Foundation dot org. You can find him at both of those. Anyway, I'm sorry I put it in there.
1: Oh no, that's great. Um, it, it's good to, rem- to remind our audience. And you know, uh, remember his. If you order the book Thunderdog from his website, it, it will not only be autographed by the author, but it'll have a podograph, which is the yeah. paw of Roselle herself so that that um in itself I think makes it really special um so remember this bo- broadcast uh, is going to be available as a podcast all of our episodes on dialogue between the lines are available immediately after the show and, and you can download it to your mp3 player your your iPod your iPhone or you can listen to it uh through streaming audio right after that uh, after the episode's over um so a- in the archive of all of our Oh, gosh, it's been about two years or so of our episodes can be found at our station here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash dialogue. And we'd also like to invite you to our website, www.dialoguebtl.com, and there you'll find links to us on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, next week... Please be sure to stay tuned. Next week, on the 14th, no, it's actually not the 14th. Next week is the 28th. uh, Our guest will be writer Scott Nicholson, and he's an author of uh, Thrillers and Suspense, and he's quite a well-known independent author who has also been traditionally published prior to his independent author career. Um, Thanks again for listening to our broadcast today, and thanks to those who chatted with us in the chat room. Please tell your friends about our show because we would love to have more and more of an audience enjoy our guests. We've had some really wonderful guests on this show, not, not the least of which was today's guest, Michael Hinson. And um, until next week, this is Joshua Graham with my lovely co-host, Susan Wingate, for Dialogue Between the Lions. We'll see you next time.
0: Goodbye. Bye-bye.